Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And our goal is to give you some really good information, the real facts, the real stats about our local market. Maybe not what's happening in Michigan or Minnesota, but what's happening here in the Central Valley. And remember, real estate is much like the weather. So when you get national weather forecasts, um, what are they going to say? It's humid back east, and yet it's hot and dry out here. So that's how our real estate market is today. Um, now, to help me with this, and one of the beauties of our show is that we have over 4,000 people to, to pull out and, and, and get out here on any given Saturday because um, we have that many realtors. We have a lot of affiliates. We have our contacts, our connections that we can get out here. Well, today we have somebody that I totally respect because he's been in the business almost as long as I have. Uh, although he is older, <laughs> but I've learned a lot from him. And today I plan to learn some more from Ken Newfeld also. Good morning, Ken. Uh, good morning, Don. It's a pleasure to be back on Welcome Home Radio with you. All right, great. And um, I remember Ken way back in the 80s. Uh, that's kind of when we both got into residential real estate. I think we were both licensed before then. Um, but I think you were, tell us what you were off doing is kind of interesting. Well, uh, real estate was really my second career, which I did begin in 1980, which is nearly 40 years ago. But before that, I spent 14 years doing the churchly equivalent of the Peace Corps, uh, would be one way of describing it. I worked as a, um, a volunteer uh, high school teacher in Nigeria for three years. I um, worked in the... Uh, in recruitment of volunteers out of the uh, headquarters office in Pennsylvania for the uh, church that I was representing. And then I went back to Zambia for three years and served as a country director of supervising about 35 teachers in Zambia. That was in 1971 to 74. And then finally they recruited me to come to California, uh, to Reedley as the West Coast director and I had never been to California until I arrived here with my U-Haul. Uh, so uh, I did that for another five years. And then after a study leave at the uh, University of Southern California, uh, I ended up changing careers and I ended up going into real estate. And so you might say, I used to do good and now I'm doing well. <laughs> did you just make that up? Because that's good. No, no, I've heard that before. Oh, okay. Um, well, and I, I have to let our listeners know this, and this is one of the reasons I respect Ken so much. Things have really changed a lot in real estate, and yet I think you are as successful and productive today as you were then. In fact, if we were to pick your, what was your, your good period, you'd have to say the whole 40 years, pretty much, um. And the reason for that is, and this is the part that I respect, you you change 
I mean, you make the chameleon look like they're slow to adapt. Exactly. There's no bad year or day in real estate as long as one is willing to adapt to what's happening outside. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, somebody might, I get this sometimes. Oh, you've been in real estate 40-something years. Oh, you must be old school or you might, you know, you must be retired. Uh-uh. I, you and I are, are we're, we're still kicking it. We're still doing it. Uh, sometimes change is a little difficult for us, but uh, I think we've all caught, caught on with the new technologies. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something we're going to talk about in the show today, the four decades of real estate, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and then the, the last uh, nine, 10 years. Um, why don't we get started with the 80s and what, it, what was real estate like back in the 80s? And not from a practitioner's side, but from an industry side. Well, from an industry side and even from a consumer side, as well as the realtor side, because they all impact each other. We were in a declining, very severely declining market with a rapidly rising interest rate. We were approaching 17, 18%. Yeah, I remember those days. Um, In fact, at that point, I tried becoming a loan officer. I don't know the brilliance in my thought process then when rates were 17 18 percent that was totally contrary and i have to tell you because (laughs) we weren't consulting loan officers in those days we were doing our own creative financing and seller carrybacks and so sellers in those days if they wanted to sell they would need to carry uh the loan for the buyer usually for five years seven years or whatever time period that they could afford to carry it Mm -hmm. and the interest rates by the way were the sellers offered very competitive rates at 12 percent yeah, that's right. But and it wasn't just the seller carry. There was also. Do you remember the blended, uh, the blended rate? So maybe the buyer would assume the seller's ten percent interest rate of forty thousand. Let's say the purchase price was a hundred thousand. They assume that forty thousand. The seller would carry another second loan for forty thousand, maybe at twelve percent, and buyer would put 20% down. Now, when you blended those two rates, the 10% and the 12, you actually came out with an 11% effective rate. With a mere 11%. Yeah. And boy, that was sure a lot better than calling me up and saying, Don, can you do a first loan for 18% for me? (laughs) No wonder the phone didn't ring. (laughs) And so how long did you stay in lending? Not very long. Actually, I didn't like it because it was about the numbers. It wasn't about the people. And I think today the lending industry has changed to where they're more about the people now. But back then it was not. It was a numbers game. Well, I can certainly see that uh, in your personality. Uh, you are a people person. I think you're in the right spot. Okay. I Thank you for the compliment. I thought you were going to go the other way and say, I know you're not a numbers guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ken and I will jab one another once in a while. <laughs> um, so what was the technology like back in the 80s? Well, I remember, uh, you know, as a real estate professional, we had to keep track of our clients and keep track of a, a follow-up program. 
And so what I used was a, a recipe, uh, three by five recipe card. Mm -hmm. And I got myself a recipe box and I'd have uh, dividers for every day of the month that I, that I would need to follow up. And so all my contacts were on three by five cards and it worked. It was very, very effective. Okay, so, and, and that was the technology, that and a telephone. Well, yes, you had, there was the telephone, and the real advanced people had pagers that they wore on their belts, and you could you get a number uh, entered on your pager, and you have to go find a payphone to call them back. I think that was the late 80s, not the early 80s. <laughs> we, we are moving fast with technology. How about the legal part of it? Were there all the lot of disclosures back then well it was more of a buyer beware environment i'm afraid to say uh although you know there were leaders in the industry at the time that i recall that were keenly aware that um to to really be professional and ethical in this industry we needed to have the sellers disclose defects about the property and, and i do recall now that you're bringing it up the company that I worked for and the brokers at that time, both of whom may God rest their souls, uh, they they both initiated some, some forums that uh, we had sellers fill out that actually started disclosing defects. But the real disclosure uh, uh, phenomenon came much later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of the 80s, there were really no disclosures. I mean, there was no... Transfer disclosure statement, which is now mandated by state law, uh, and that came about probably in '85, maybe. Yeah, I think in the in the mid to late '80s. Okay, um, agency disclosure, which is the first form that should be signed now uh, and disclosed as to who the agent, who you as an agent is working for, who represents whom, and what your duties are to those parties in the transaction. Yeah. There was none of that back then. Um, what would, how about the role of the realtor back then? Well, the, the, the realtor was, of course, the keeper of the information as found in the MLS book. Uh, Don, I'm sure you'd chuckle about that. I still have an MLS book. I'm keeping it as a keepsake. You know, I have one in my desk as well. That just goes to show that we're a bunch of old timers. <laughs> Good timers, not old. Well, the book, uh, you know, th that was really the source of uh, of real estate real estate information, and the realtors were the ones who had the access to that. So, the 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 public did not have access to information uh, regarding real estate listings, real estate that was for sale. Uh, that was the realtor's province, as it were. Mm-hmm. And not so anymore. Not so anymore. Um, in fact, that's a challenge for the public because just as we had to do when we were the, the keeper of that information, now we had to process it, prioritize it, see what's important, what isn't, what's consistent, what isn't. And now online, as people get that through technology, th they have to be careful as to what they read. Not everything on the internet is accurate. Did you is, know that? Well, you know, I heard that. Uh, but uh, as realtors, we do tr try to provide 
adequate in, uh, accurate information on our all of our websites and and those that we cooperate with mm-hmm so what what would you say is um something from back in the 80s that still persists today maybe as as far as the role of the realtor um what does the realtor do today that we still did had to do back then well it's still a people industry uh we are people to people in our work uh we meet people in our office we meet people at properties we show properties we help we discuss and help uh clients uh, if they're buyers to prioritize what uh their what their uh needs are and help to find that that's all still the same as it was back then as sellers when we work with sellers we uh counsel them in terms of uh, marketing uh procedures marketing values and it's we're still very much people oriented just as we were 40 years ago we have to be mm-hmm. i've never sold a house over the phone i i've got to tell you, i did one where i never ever spoke to the people by phone nor saw them because one was in japan another one was uh back east somewhere it was a very difficult transaction <laughs> and it was as i mean i got to where and you know how slow i type but i got to be where i i was typing out a whole page uh, of information for them and i still don't think they really understood what was going on but given the constraints uh, you still were in a person-to-person relationship with those buyers ah good point yeah because i tried as the chameleon will try to adapt, I tried to adapt to their environment or mm-hmm. lack of environment. So, so I guess that is still a people-to-people thing. Yes, I think so. Well, with that, we're going to go to our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, along here with Ken Newfeld of London Properties. And um, that bumper music of Staying Alive really describes the 1980s that we discussed in the first segment. Um, it was kind of hard to stay alive when the interest rates were 17, 18%. Transactions were hard to put together. Um, we described the blended rate thing that you could, you could do but not every seller was able to do that. So um, staying alive, and, and, and this is something I still remember today because there was a recession back then. Um, the first one I ever felt, and I'll give my personal experience, and then you, you can give yours, but I remember I was making so much money there for a while. I was just a young kid. I'd almost laugh when I went to the bank. It's like, wow, life is easy. And then all of a sudden I realize, wow, my credit cards are maxed out. My savings account and checking account are pretty darn close to zero. And my last escrow just canceled. So, uh, <laughs> and then I got a Christmas card in the mail. And it was Santa, uh, it was somebody praying to Santa, uh, or not praying to Santa Claus, but asking Santa 
saying, Dear Santa, please give us one more real estate boom, and I promise not to waste it all this time. I've remembered that ever since then because I learned my lesson. How about you? Well, speaking of staying alive, um, in 1980 when I started real estate, I was very keenly aware of that I would need to stay alive. And um, I said to myself, if I can survive for one year in a bad market, then I will be sure to be able to survive in real estate as a career. So staying alive was very important in the, as you mm -hmm. say, in the early 80s. And uh, for some reason, I didn't manage to do it. All right. Very good. So let's move on now. We talked about the 80s. What were the 90s like? Well, the beginning 90s were really were boom years for us. Uh, 1990, 1991 were one of the, the great years of recovery. Um, values were up. Uh, prices were, uh, were stable to slightly moderating. Uh, it, was, it was pretty much a balanced market. And, and I think we sometimes, some of the markets we've enjoyed the most might have been the balanced markets, not when everything is crazy. So in the early 80s, things were not totally crazy. In the early 90s, I mean, were not totally crazy. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say the median price was in 1990? Just, and I know I, that's a curveball that I just threw you, but give us your guess. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, I, I know that in 1980, when I started, the median price was around 60000 and I would have to guess we're probably, we might have been around 150 in uh, 1990. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, boy, you were selling high-end stuff. <laughs> um, okay, so, and the point there is look at where it's at today. And so historically, real estate is a good investment. Obviously it is. It uh, For people who have <clears throat> held their real estate investments for a long time they've they've paid off because they've survived all those ups and downs all right so in the 90s as far as the legal uh environment um there was lots of disclosures now right we were into um into uh, the real estate transfer disclosure statement that had been initiated in the late 80s uh, this was a form that the sellers had to fill out to disclose everything they knew of that was wrong with the property uh, we had agency disclosure, as we mentioned before, as well. And also the home inspection phenomenon had begun to take hold. Um, in fact, uh, home inspection became a cottage industry, where, uh, and, and I think it was good for consumers, that consumers took an active role, especially buyers, took an active role in investigating the properties they were buying. So this was happening more in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. I remember prior to that, walking through a house with a buyer, they'd say, well, how's the electrical in here? And, I mean, that was the extent of their uh, investigation, is yeah. they'd ask me, you know, how the electrical is. Let's, well, let's flush the toilets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it looks uh, okay. <laughs> looks good to me. <laughs> but, but the problem there was, and, and I, I think we've progressed in this regard with regard to home inspections. The problem before home inspections was they would have, the buyers would always have their final walkthrough as they do today. 
But the final walkthrough ended up being the first and final walkthrough. And so first and final. First and final, right. And so the poor seller has got the U-Haul parked in the front. Uh, they're loading it up. It's Friday night. It's supposed to close on Monday. And the buyers are coming to do their final walkthrough. And the buyer says, well, hey, we're not closing because uh, this toilet doesn't flush right or your dishwasher is broken. Until you fix that, we're not doing anything. And so what we've been able to do with the home inspection phenomenon is we've dealt with all those issues up front, which has been very healthy, both for buyers and sellers. That is a good point. I remember a nightmare I had where kind of a real estate shark investor buyer, and uh, he held he held the poor couple at hostage, basically. That last day doing the final walkthrough was saying, oh, my roofer said the roof, it needs to be replaced. You're going to need to drop your price if you want me to finish this. And, of course, the moving van was already packed. Point is, we were in a bad spot. It, it, not a spot where you could deal with logic and say, wait a minute, let me get a second roof inspection or negotiate fairly. Somebody was at a disadvantage there. Absolutely. And I think uh, this goes to show that the real estate uh, procedures and transaction has progressed uh, to the benefit of the consumer. Ah, I like that, to the benefit of the consumer. That's, that is a good point. Um, how about the marketing and advertising back in the 90s? What was that like? Well, we loved the newspaper. <laughs> and they loved us oh, yeah. because we spent lots of money in print media. And uh, there'd be the, uh, the real estate ads. They would take, what, two full pages in the classifieds? Yeah. Very easily. Plus, there'd be the Saturday section, the Sunday section, totally devoted to real estate. And uh, we'd all be buying ad space and hoping that our consumers would like what they saw and come to uh, buy our, our properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that has certainly changed today. Um, and, and one good thing is from a budget side, we don't spend as much on marketing and advertising as we used to. Well, that's true. Uh, however, if one wanted to spend the same amount of money, some, some, I think some of our professionals do spend a lot of money on, but they've shifted their advertising budget into other media other than print media. Ah, gotcha. How about the financing? We were talking about in the 80s, interest rates were 17, 18%. Um, what happened in the 90s? Well, as I recall, I think financing was a more, more normal. But what was happening uh, in the 90s as well, in, by the mid-90s, the market had dropped again from, the, from a high point in 1991 or so. And what happened is there were some sellers that had to sell due to maybe uh, financial problems or uh, marital problems or uh, death in the family or, or job changes. There's all these things that, that, that uh, start a, the need for a sale of property. And so some of these people had, were over-encumbered. They were underwater already in the, in the 1990s. This, this was the first time in the last 40 years that we experienced this. And so along came the phenomenal short sale, 
or uh, an alternative to short sales that some sellers did in the 90s was the sellers would actually bring in money to make up the shortfall so they could close an escrow. I, I do remember that. There were a few times where you had to tell the seller they had to do it because we didn't have runaway appreciation. Um, that's in the next decade coming <laughs> uh, where that happened. But if you weren't in a home long enough, you didn't have e equity. Equity was something that you earned over time. Absolutely. So um, I had a case of the, uh, a human interest story here that you might want to hear um, about a, a seller who did bring in money. We were, uh, these were really high dollar sales. This was a $20,000 Ranchwood condo in the 90s. I remember those. <laughs> But the the seller owed forty, and the seller looked at doing a short sale, but the ended up bringing in twenty thousand dollars to close an escrow on a forty thousand dollar on a twenty thousand dollar deal, uh, just so they could get their get out of the transaction. The reason was they're moving to Oregon, and they were they had applied to adopt, and the adoption agency was very. Uh, strict that there would be no blemishes on their credit, mm. and so they were willing to step up to the plate, spend the twenty thousand, in order to uh, perform on a greater good, which was adopting a child. And and I have a little story like that too, and that's so true because you when you do a short sale, it does have its uh, negative parts, especially to your your credit. But um, I had one where. This didn't affect their credit, but they had bought the thing two or three years earlier for 125000 and they agreed to accept a price of 115000 So $10,000 less than they uh, bought it for. And I said, why are you doing that? I mean, why would you want to lose $10,000? He said, because I have a chance to move to a new job in Ohio right now where I'm going to make $40,000 a year more. I don't want to lose time. <laughs> and the price of the house in Ohio was probably much less. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> okay, so with that, we're going to go to our next commercial break. And uh, when we get back, we're going to move forward a decade. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Ken Newfeld of London Properties here with us. And um, we're going to now we've been we're going to talk the four different decades of real estate since Ken and I have been in it, and um, the '80s, '90s, the 2000s, and that's where we're at now, the 2000s for our third segment. And I think by 2005, we were all thinking we are the champions. We were the champions. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't miss. It was too good to be true is what it felt like. Yes. Uh, property appreciated while you're in escrow. Yeah, that's right. And the longer the escrow, the better it was because you didn't even put up more than a few thousand bucks as a deposit and you were already earning money. But isn't that too good to be true? It was too good to be true because it didn't last. Mm, yeah. So um, t 
tell us what, what was real estate like in the beginning of the 2000s and then the end of the 2000s? Well, at the beginning of the 2000s, I think we were still in somewhat of it. We were in a recovery mode from the previous uh, decline of the, of the mid-90s. And I would say in the first, maybe the first two years of the 2000s, we were in a pretty balanced market with a, a slight appreciation. But then appreciation, you know, kind of took off and people realized that, well, real estate could be an investment vehicle. And so there's a lot of speculation in real estate. Um, another thing that happened was there were artificially low interest rates and, and uh, teaser rates where people uh, who really shouldn't have been getting loans were able to get loans fairly easily. Um, and they'd say, okay, you're, your interest rate is going to be 1.5%. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. But that didn't last. It was like at the end of 18 months, now you're back to market rate, which might have been like 6%. And so that was a lot of sticker shock on the price and on the payment at that time, and people got into trouble. And that type of an adjustable rate mortgage, where you go from an interest rate of one and a half to six, and, and I concur with you, that did happen. Those numbers are not exaggerations. Um, but what happens is most people, or let's say your blue collar workers, their income and their affordability didn't change. It didn't triple in 18 months. So, yeah, they enjoyed those first 18 months at 1.5%, but when it went to 6 now the struggle was on. Yes, absolutely, because they were pre-qualified or qualified for the, for the loan at the 1.5% rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was too good to be true, but it increased the demand of real estate because now you had more buyers and um, so uh, prices went up. Yes, the demand went crazy and then enter uh, speculators who would just buy and sell, who could purchase a home for maybe 300000 and uh, nine months later it's worth 900000 They made 100000 just by speculating. Yeah, and what fueled the speculators, and I think is the number one biggest culprit in, in what happened to real estate, was the cash out refinance. So here's a mom and pop that bought a home for 100000 All of a sudden, it's worth 300000 maybe 10 years later. Um, and they did a refinance. They borrowed off that $300,000 value and probably got $300,000 cash, put put 100000 to pay off the old loan, and now um, had $200,000 in their pocket to go speculate and invest in more. And they weren't really prepared to be an investor. That's true. In addition to that, there were people that weren't going to use the money to speculate, but they, may, they thought, well, we can pay off our car loan with this refi money. Uh, we can go on a nice vacation. We can put our, our kids through college. Uh, some, of, especially the college one, is I think a very laudable yeah. use of the money. But what happened was that home did not remain at the, at the 300,000 or 500,000 value. It, it eventually it dropped in value and the people were upside down. And had they bought the home not for speculation but to use it, 
it'd be okay. A, a temporary downturn in value is okay if you're still using it. Right, and, but, but what happened is some people, due to unfortunate circumstances, needed to sell their property. So it was those people that were upside down in their property that had to sell that were in a real bind. Mm -hmm. And I still say that the best thing we can do with history, and that's part of the, the show, the reason for today's show where we're going back in history is so that we can learn from it. Um, so I, I love this about from the movie, the lion King There's only two things you can do with the past run from it or learn from it. So today we're going to try to learn from it. One of I think the biggest culprit in the whole downturn was the cash out refi. In fact, our Fresno Association of Realtors did a survey. Um, so this is local news now. This is not national. This is local. In Fresno County for the years 2007, 8, and 9, we did a survey to see where did these foreclosures come from. We only found a small percentage of the foreclosures in our MLS database, which means most of the sales did not come from people purchasing a home and and um, purchasing a home and getting professional representation. Fifty-one percent of the foreclosures came from cash-out refis, and ironically, this was our first run society's first run at internet uh, mortgage origination. So people, and so many people that I spoke with uh, later on who did, uh, I was representing a bank as far uh, on their foreclosures. I said, what happened, you know, did, um, that you've lost your home? They said, we really didn't understand. We thought our payment would stay at that one and a half percent for five years. We didn't realize that it, went up to 6% after 18 months. So they didn't understand it because there was no loan officer involved. It was internet banking. Yes, there was a lot of misinformation or lack of information and uh, disclosures regarding loans. By the way, and we might talk about that in the next segment, there's been a lot more dis disclosure regarding uh, in the lending field as well. I'm writing that down. I like that term you just coined, misinformation and lack of information. Yeah, that's what happens when that that opportunity to get misinformation and lack of information really happens when you are doing such an important thing and a big thing online without professional representation. I think we found that to be the case, and as you pointed out, in, or do you recall the study we did um, in the Fresno at the Association of Realtors? I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'll never forget it because it totally, to me, it totally explains the history of what happened back in the 2000s. I mean, in the two, if I could say this, in the 2000s, we had a tremendous run-up um, all the way till about 2005, 2006. Prices were really escalating. Um, they were going up 24, 25% a year right, right here in Fresno County. Not to mention if you were to go to other parts of the country, it was even more. Um, but then they dropped that much too. 
They did. When we so the 2007, I think, was probably the the year uh, that things started changing, and um, we did experience a major drop. Uh, I, I hate to even mention the percent, Don, um, but one of the studies I read was like a 55 percent drop in values here in Fresno. And fortunately, we've recovered uh, pretty much of that. But oh yeah. Speaking of the last years, then. Uh, those the last years of the 2000 decade, the 2008, 2009. Those were those were years of readjustment, and and I recall 75 percent of the properties we were selling in those latter years were distressed properties, either foreclosures or short sales. And you know that just the term distressed properties also meant their physical condition was distressed, which meant they sold for less, and that continued the spiral downwards in in pricing because it, it, not it only did. was there less uh demand but now the condition of the property didn't warrant a higher price yes absolutely and not only that but there was the, that lack of good condition added to the lesser demand because many buyers w could not qualify to buy a distressed home because the lenders didn't want to lend on a distressed home. It didn't Maybe, qualify for the loan. Yeah. Maybe the buyer qualified. But the house didn't. Yeah. Um, I remember one where and it was kind of a catch-22. It was a foreclosure they were buying, and there was some wires hanging where there was a um, light fixture that was taken off. Well, they um, the new lender wouldn't lend on it. The, current, the owner of the property, which was a lender, said, well, we're, we sold it as is. Well, they ended up pulling out of the transaction. They ended up selling it for thousands less later on to a cash buyer. Which they could have fixed for a $50 fixture. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, with that, we are going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. You gotta hand it to Hanford. They opened the first chicken shack. So why did the chicken cross the county line? To hatch another shack on Fulton in downtown Fresno. And now, Chicken Shack has hatched a third shack on Blackstone across from River Park. Now don't forget to bring your hot wing money to the Chicken Shack. The valley is in a fever over fresh, never-frozen Chicken Shack fingers and wings, wraps and sandwiches, burgers and brews, homemade chili, and their wildly popular buffalo chicken fries. Made with tender and savory chicken strips, topped with the Shack's buffalo spicy ranch and shredded cheese. Anybody feeling a little peckish right now? Chicken Shack. Then hit the Shack to enjoy in or take out. You'll find a Chicken Shack in Hanford, in downtown Fresno at Fulton and Mariposa, and the new Chicken Shack location on Blackstone, across from River Park next to Red Robin. Chicken Shack. <laughs> Wings, fingers, and brews. Chicken Shack. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio helping me out with the past 40 years of real estate per decade is Ken Newfeld of London Properties. And um, like I was saying before in the show, that Ken has was just as productive back then as he was in the 90s, the 2000s, and still to the to this day. So. Um, 
and there's been so many changes. Uh, one thing that impresses me about you, you've also been our professional standards chair for a long time, uh, pro providing information on prof professional standards to our members. And when I asked you if you would do it again next year, you showed me some technology that you're implementing into the training. And it's like, wow, Ken just never quits evolving. <laughs> well, you know, we do keep, we've got these younger members are coming in and, uh, the the uh, lecture mode for doing uh, orientations and professional standards just doesn't cut it anymore. So we've got to be a little more interesting. <laughs> there you go. All right. So what? Uh, let's now take this current decade. Let's say about 2010 through, and I'm going to say 2020 because we're almost at the end of 19. What what's the state of the market now? Is in comparison to what it was the previous three decades? Well, I think, first of all, the first two or three years of this last decade was the uh, the cash is king era, where, because as we mentioned in the previous segment, a lot of these properties did not qualify for um, a first-time home buyer or a, a move-up buyer to purchase with a loan from a bank because the properties were not in, the, in good condition. So... A lot of investors with cash entered the market in the first, um, the first I would say, 2010 to 2013. Mm -hmm. And those investors, you might say, well, they robbed the first-time buyer uh, of an opportunity, but they also had a contribution to the recovery because without having these cash buyers to, to, to get these distressed properties off of the inventory, uh, we may not have recovered as quickly as we did. That's a good point. And there's also a lot of them that provided a good, clean, new, newer home to a first-time home buyer. Maybe they bought it for at, at distress levels or distress condition, went in, fixed it up. To, uh, oh, and by the way, when they purchased it, it was not financeable. Mm -hmm. They made it financeable and six months later turned around and sold it to a first-time buyer. Very good point, and that, of course, even in flipping today, that still is, is happening, so that the, the cash buyer who's purchasing these distressed properties is actually contributing to the, to the welfare of these neighborhoods as well. Mm -hmm. Good point. What about technology now? Is, is the buyer more dependent on technology today than prior? Well, I think one of the big technology changes for us in the real estate practice has been um, electronic signatures. Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of this decade, we'd still, there'd be very few transactions that were done with, uh, with electronic signatures. And now, uh, even guys like Don and I, we've had to learn how to do DocuSign. I, I actually even like it. Although, I will say this, it makes it an impersonal um, experience. So the first time somebody writes an offer, I almost try to really insist, if at all possible, that we meet, we go through it, and we do traditional signatures, or also called a wet signature. But um, uh, th this way I know that that person understands it. Now, if it's their fourth or fifth transaction, okay. They've lost out on four other deals. Yeah, <laughs> you've already and, done the dry run, and we want to we want to now be quick. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, you're absolutely right on that point as well because we're talking about the uh, the person-to-person -person involvement in the real estate transaction and the electronic signature has, uh, to be honest, has sort of taken away from that somewhat. And so I, I agree with you, Don. I, I, I normally would, would, uh, I would not just, especially for a first-time uh, seller or a first-time buyer relationship, just send out, Oh, here's the documents. Here's 40 pages. Please docusign because you know they're not going to read them because the way this, the program works is it goes, click, 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 and in 30 seconds you've signed 40 pages. And how much of it have you read? Right, and you always know they didn't read it when you can get it back signed in 30 seconds, and yet you sent them 40 pages. Correct. <laughs> All right. Um, how about financing? Um, that certainly has changed. We started off in the 1980s at 17, 18%. Um, but now, what is financing like? Well, there's more, there, have been, there was much more regulations regarding financing as a result of the abuses of the uh, first decade of the 2000s. Uh, so there's, um, you probably know a little bit more about the ins and outs of this since your wife is in lending, mm -hmm. but uh, there's, there's procedures that you, you have to wait three days before you do this, and then you wait another three days before that happens. And uh, unless you're paying real close attention to the timelines, it could take longer. But the intention here is for the buyer to be more aware of what they're doing and what they're signing. Yeah. Um, and, and what I'm seeing is that it used to, we, we can now do right offers, 30-day escrows and the lenders don't complain to us anymore. I think technology has helped them speed it up, although legislation has slowed them down. So you balance it all out, they can still do it in 30 days. I remember some lender getting upset with me 15 years ago, because I wrote an offer for a 30 day. He goes, you know, we can't do them that fast. No lender would say that today. No. Uh they they do have the help of of technology and they also are more I think they're more responsive. They know these timelines are important, and uh, so do we, and so do our clients. And so I think we're more ad adhering to timelines in the transaction than we have in the past. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I think that this decade is the decade of the fixed rate mortgage. Uh, we saw the adjustable rates come into more prominence back in the early 2000s. Uh, most people are going with that fixed rate mortgage now. Yeah, you hardly ever see an adjustable rate mortgage advertised and, and I can't recall any client of mine having chosen an adjustable mortgage in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Although adjustable rate mortgages do have their place for certain situations and certain people. Absolutely, those with short time horizons, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, if you if you're going to be out of the property in in three years, well, an adjustable might be fine. Okay, but you have to know you're going to be out in three years. So here's the mistake I made. I did a um, gosh, I forget what they were called, but it was truly a fixed rate for the first seven years, and then it went to an adjustable. Well, I thought, well, I'm not going to have this property more than seven years. Before long, I had to refinance because seven years came and went. Do you still own it? I do, <laughs> and it's paid off. 
So with that, I want to thank all our listeners today for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio and really want to thank Ken Newfeld for sharing your experiences with us. It's been a pleasure being with you. All right. Thank you to all our listeners, and we'll be back next Saturday, 9 to 10 on 940 ESPN.